The Viewpoint, weekdays, 8 to 10 p.m. on SAFM. The Viewpoint, weekdays, 8 to 10 p.m. Song is on on The Viewpoint. SAFM
Special, special song that is, special song, special times we are living in, and most certainly a very special Reverend Bishop, presiding Bishop-elect Reverend Purity Malenga of the Methodist Church of Southern Africa. She joins us on the line talking about the Methodist Church electing for the first time in over 200 years its first woman presiding bishop. Let's take a quick ad break before we are back to have a full-on discussion with the Reverend. When Nelson Mandela walked out of jail in 1990, there was a youthful Ramaphosa who was standing behind him. It soon became clear that Mandela saw him as a protege. There were suggestions that he would succeed Madiba, and of course that didn't happen. Was it a difficult time for him? It was, perhaps, but uh, I think a decision by his organization, the African National Congress, taking a decision to endorse Tabon Baby, I think he accepted that. That's our uh, foreign desk editor, Sophie Mukwena. SAFM, leading the conversation. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. On the viewpoint. Reverend elect, I beg your pardon, presiding bishop elect, Reverend Purity Malinga joins us on the line because two weeks ago the Methodist Church of Southern Africa celebrated with jubilation and thanksgiving the election of Reverend Purity Malinga as presiding bishop who will succeed the incumbent Reverend Zipozi Klesiwa. Having endured the cross and discrimination of patriarchy for over two centuries, women in the Methodist Church of Southern Africa have finally broken through the stained glass ceiling by the election of the first presiding bishop, who is a woman, Reverend Malinga. We engage the bishop on various issues, including the role of women in the church and why there's reluctance to elevate women in leadership positions. God and government, how far should the church's intervention be in the governance and politics of the country, if at all? And we engage her views on the removal of religion and Bible studies in school. Good evening, Nyawantle. How are you this evening? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us and thank you for taking the time. We <laughs> thoroughly appreciate your indulgence in this regard. For those who are not Methodists, perhaps I think it might be appropriate for me just to give you a couple of minutes to introduce yourself and especially walk us through the journey of your faith as to it culminating in your being a minister. Yeah, my background is a a home that uh, knew nothing more than church. My mother, my grandmother, my grandfather were, were church people, Methodist people. So that's the environment I grew up in. But then, like all teenagers, I, I had time when I was away from church. But then um, I came back, and coming back, taking church seriously, getting confirmed. And then uh, later, when I had started working as a teacher, that's when the call into the ministry came into my life. And... Um, after some time of you know accepting not accepting eventually mm. i accepted the court and uh, candidated for the ministry in the Methodist Church. what year was that that was 1981. oh that's 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 quite a while before, before your before, time 
<laughs> just just <laughs> before my time, nearly four decades, shall we say, Mama. And yes. then you became a minister in the church, and I would imagine at that time there weren't too many who were female ministers in that period. I mean, we're talking about 40 years ago. How was that yes. experience like? It was tough. Yes, I can use. Um, it was something new. It was um, there, there were many who were not accepting even the idea that a was a young woman there, that a young woman would stand in front of a congregation, would serve communion and so on. There, there was just the that reluctance in accepting the decision that the church had taken already to ordain women. Mm-hmm. And, and so really it was a journey of challenges having to all the time work twice as much to convince people that this is where God is calling me. Let's talk about, I mean, you've just taken me to a story that I once actually heard you speak of at St. George's Hotel. I think it was a retreat for the ministers, 2016 or possibly 2017, one of the two times. And you were given the platform to offer the word that day. I don't know if that rings a bell. Yes, yeah. In that service or in your preaching, you referred to a story, if I recall correctly, that is place set somewhere in and around Deben or KZN somewhere, but it is definitely in the KZN. And you mentioned about some of your colleagues with whom you were in company talking among yourselves and or t- um, talking among themselves or talking to you. But something that they said was along the lines, Boys will be boys after they did something which offended you as a woman. Do you recall that story? Because you went on to say, as part of your sermon, that perhaps it is time for boys to leave the leadership structures of the church. That is the first time I got to engage you in in, in this context in which we are now about to delve into. Do you want to just recap that story, please, and give us an account again, please, for those who are not there? Yeah, the, the incident <clears throat> was that um, the, the conversation that was held in my presence was derogatory to women in general. And as a woman who was part of that group of men, men in the ministry, uh, that made me feel like it's not just a, a conversation about women in general. It's actually talking to me. I'm a woman here. And so I re- I reported to a person in charge. And the person in charge said, uh-huh. uh, you know the boys. Boys will be boys. Don't bother about what they were saying. So it was to put down my discomfort about what was said, to just say, oh, that's how boys that is the conversation that boys have. So don't worry about it. So that was the story that I shared. And that has been your experience for the best part of your time, 38 years in particular, of your being in the ministry. Your voice and your experience and your offense, receiving little, if any, attention at the hands of at men that in the church. Time, at have things that changed? Time that, that was uh, my experience at that time. Have things changed? 
Yes, and at that time I was still new in the business. I cannot say it has changed. I, I can maybe say it is changing, not that it has changed. Let's talk then, Mama, about um, your role currently um, before you assume the presiding bishop. You are currently, if I understand correctly, the director for education for ministry and the mission unit in the Methodist yes. Church. What does that office do? That's the office that is responsible for the, the screening and in, in, the, in the usual work uh, spaces, it would be called recruitment. Yes. But in the church, we people come forward and then we do the screening to, to check the suitability of people for the ministry. It is also a, a unit that uh, is responsible to assist with the training of those who have come forward for the ministry, whether it is ordained ministry or lay ministry or local preaching. It's all about the training of those who will be involved in the ministry. We're in conversation with the presiding bishop-elect of the Methodist Church of Southern Africa, Mama Purity Malinga, who two weeks ago was elected the first woman presiding bishop of the Methodist Church of Southern Africa in a span of time that is over two centuries. We're taking your calls on 891 Drop us, please, your WhatsApp voice notes on 614 If you have any questions and or comments about the Methodist Church more broadly, but more specifically directed to Reverend Malinga, here's your opportunity to do so. We have about another 25 minutes in this conversation but the feminist in her i have to simply indulge mama your desk education for ministry and mission unit would have recruited one reverend delanga in the western cape and her work would have been pleasing enough to the methodist church such that she would be if you like umvangeli the evangelist of the word and of the teachings of the methodist church to its broader society Yes. At what point in the Methodist Church and its structures and its dogmas and its teachings was she not fit for the office? She was fired at some point by the Methodist Church for having a sexual orientation, which is her choice. Yes. And the church fired her. Why? At, at the moment, uh, my response to that would be that the the, the church, just like society, mm-hmm. is still has some issues that is, it is grappling with. That it is not clear as to what how to deal with those issues. As we're talking about the, the, the reception of women leader, leaders in the church, which is still an issue that the church is grappling with even today. Yes. The issue of, of uh, sexual orientation is one of those issues where the church grapples and discusses and does not come necessarily to decision at the time when we were. So I think that case then is one of those cases where the church is still unclear of which road to Put in a similar position, because it's not um, unthinkable that you might find in your term as a presiding bishop a similar case as that of Reverend Delanga. Do you have a way, 
or do you anticipate how you would respond to a minister in the Methodist church who wants to marry a person of, in this case, her choice? And it could very well be a minister who wishes to marry a person of his choice. How do you anticipate your response would be to that? Notwithstanding, and we will go into what the laws and discipline of the Methodist Church say. How do you respond to that potential happening in your term? Yeah, I think you're right to say that um, there is something called the laws and discipline of the Methodist Church. And as a presiding bishop, you do not take your own decisions. You follow the structures and the laws and disciplines that are to be followed. The okay. issue is being discussed by the Methodist people, and they need to be taking decisions on the issue. And so my my response will be based on where we are as a church, as we are discussing. We're in conversation with the presiding bishop-elect of the Methodist Church, Reverend Purity Malinga, talking all things about the emancipation of women finally in the highest echelons of the church. She is the first in 200 years plus of the church's history to be elected into the position that she is now going to assume once the incumbent Reverend Ziposiklesiwa vacates. 200 years on, for the first time in the history of the Methodist Church, a woman will be the presiding bishop. And we're having a conversation specifically now to that income or to the designate Mama Reverend Purity Malinga talking about laws and discipline in this particular segment. 891 please give us a call. 0614-104-107. Please drop us a voice note. SAFM Viewpoint, that's a hashtag on Twitter. SAFM Radio is our handle, as well as Song as is my particular handle. Let's talk about laws and discipline, Reverend Malinga, specifically page 228 thereof. Miscellaneous Conference Resolution. And I have an issue with something that's going to be a miscellaneous. It almost speaks of an afterthought. But specifically, let me read something there from page 228 under paragraph 17, same-sex relationships. This is a conference resolution of the Methodist Church, 2001. We reaffirm that the Methodist Church of Southern Africa is not yet ready to apply for its ministers to officiate at same-sex unions because there is still a need for further conversation in relation to the theology of marriage, the exercise of conscious pastoral implications, and the perceived marginalization of people in same-sex relationships. Conference directs ministers to facilitate a conducive environment for the church to listen to the silent voices. Do you perhaps wish to explain what that all means, seeing that you will be the custodian of that paragraph? Yeah, that last part uh, is speaking exactly to where I think we need to be emphasizing to be to opening up spaces of conversation what you you find at the moment is that there are places where this issue of same sex relationship is still taboo where it's not talked about it's not touched we, we, we act as though we do not have people of same sex orientation and so on and then in some parts of the church, conversation is happening and a pastoral work is happening to people who of that orientation who need pastoral work. So what is important then is that the spaces of conversation are encouraged and, and conversation happens. Then that would lead us as a church to a point of making a decision. I'm not at all for a moment blaming you for the 
situation that the church finds itself in because you and many women have been absent in those critical conversations, so to speak, because this has been a, a highly um, man-dominated man dominated space. I'm asking you because I want to get the vision coming through from the presiding bishop-elect so as to speak to Elita Mbondwana, who's listening in on this show, who has a couple of questions, and I'll read a little bit later on in the show what the questions from the followers are. But if we talk about same-sex relationships, the Methodist Church will collect the money of that individual who has a sexual orientation that is not known to the church because that person hasn't been required to come forward. It will draw benefits from having that individual as a member. That member may even be nominated for high position, class leader, a steward in the church or in the circuit, society at a circuit level, may become a lay president because they are drawn from the ordinary community of members. And the question may never arise as to whether or not where his or her sexual orientation lies. What turns on that simply because this individual now is a minister? is in the case of Delanga. Worse in her case, she just wanted to marry. She had been a minister. There isn't an account that says she was unfit to be a minister. She was simply unfit because the, the church suddenly found out who she decides to spend her time with privately. Is that not fundamentally wrong? Um, <clears throat> it, it is you can say it's fundamentally wrong. Um, but it, 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 when you understand that the minister becomes a custodian of the, the laws and discipline we're talking about, the minister becomes the, the, the face of the, the Methodist church wherever a minister is. And therefore, it's true that there are many members who are in various leadership roles who, uh, who are of same-sex uh, orientation. And uh, there's nothing that is, is being uh, questioned about that. They are serving the Lord as they are called to. But in a case of a minister, there is a sense in which the church tightens the, the, the and ensures that what is in the LND is kept. The, the, the LND, Laws and Discipline, which is the constitution of the church, yeah. are the members there for that document, or is that document there for the members? The reason why you would update a document and amend it is because it is no longer appropriate to govern in its current form for the membership as at that time. So the question yeah. is, if you're going to direct me to the laws and discipline, is the church membership there for the laws and discipline? Or is laws and discipline there for the members? It's there for the members. That is why then the church is saying the members need to talk and make a decision. But the country so has made a decision, Reverend Malina. The country has made a decision to say there is nothing objectionable, there's nothing offensive. It speaks to equality, it speaks to humanity that people shall exercise their choices. Section 9 of the, of the uh, Constitution, we're talking about Fauré versus Minister of Home Affairs. This is a 1999 case, I think it was penned by Justice Albi Sachs, if I'm not mistaken. 
society yeah. south africa has made that decision why would the church be any different to the society of south africa um let me for now stop talking about this case all right fine no problem because i accept I, it. I think this is not what i was asked to come to this interview for no let, let, let me clarify a case that has been dealt with by other people in the church and so uh, i would rather not um share my views on the matter the church no has i appreciate that I, I i fully respect and appreciate that the reason why i'm probing this particular issue just because it has happened in the Dilanga matter and seems to have been settled, however one defines settled under the circumstances, my concern is, as somebody who has been and has since left the Methodist Church, precisely because of some of these things which remain swept under the carpet or unattended to by the leadership of the church, it is bound to return, only perhaps with more vigor and force. I'm trying to get a sense of the presiding bishop-elect's view, vision, for some of the challenges that the church is in because i can redirect you perhaps to what happened on january 8th this year let's let's move on let's january 8th this year you had similar sentiments of patriarchy of inequality mm-hmm. where a leading figure you lamented this on national television said yeah. what he said min reverend man and mm-hmm. you had thoughts about that yeah i don't for a moment think that he is the only one with such stature in the church who thinks that way how is that going to be dealt with? This is the kind of sentiment I'm trying to get from you as the vision holder of such a high position, Mama. It's not in any way to expose anything. Yes. My vision as I go into this and as I, uh, this uh, responsibility and my view is that the, the, the presiding bishop is given a task a specific role in the Methodist Church to be a, a spiritual leader of the church and also to give guidance in terms of the, which way the church should be going. Actually, even on issues that you are raising, my view and my vision on this is that we need to be debating and talking about these issues in, in our church. There is a sense in which things are, we assume that people know that this is, this is where the world is, this is what the church is saying on issues. Whereas you find that there are many people who are holding on to their traditions and their beliefs on certain individuals, especially the people who are minorities and people who are excluded in communities. Yes. And so as church, we need to be embracing. We need to be uh, a church that is a home for all. And so for me, the, the, the vision is that let us open up the space to include all people, especially those who are excluded in communities. And let's talk about communities because the Methodist Church has a membership of, is it about 2 million? Is that, would that be an, a fair figure? It's quite a big church. Yeah, it's quite a big church. About two million people. Let's work. Yeah. Let, let's work that's with that. Plus minus a, a million and a half. A million and a half. That's that, that's quite sizable, and and of course it 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 commands a lot of assets. Yes. There is a preacher. I I forget his name, and, and please excuse me for that. Who 
who laments around the unveiling of something to do with Databigo last year in Ginsberg. He did the rounds on social media. He laments that an institution as the Methodist Church, over 200 years old, it doesn't have one institution directed at the development of Africans and all of its members. Mm. The church as we now know it. It yeah. has, yes, facility for training its ministers. But it's, it, it would be the oldest university, so to speak. UCT was founded mid-19th century. The church came before that. Mm. Is there perhaps... Is this perhaps not a good time to rethink the modeling of the church in society? Because with the population in the country and the members in the church, one and a half million, the dire skills shortage and the amount of money through Khona the church is able to generate, could this not be an opportunity to talk about establishing a structure aimed at the development of its members as opposed to outsourcing that always to universities, to government? Can the church not take ownership of the destiny of its membership? The church can do that. Um, what is happening at the moment is that um, from its resources, the church has, as you're saying, has been supporting some of its members uh, through their university education, high school, and so on. Um, there was a time when the Methodist Church had its own institution, and that was uh, before the, the act that took away all the, the, the schools away from the, the, the churches and so on. Mm. So I think we, we are at the right time when we are to rethink um, how, as a church, we, we contribute to the development of, of our nation. There are still schools that are called Methodist schools, like Yosemite and Yokesi and so on, which are still there in the name and in the ethos of the Methodist Church um, here and there. So there's, there's still some uh, involvement of the church with the education of our young people. Skills development at a tertiary level? No, no, not that, but in terms of high schools and so on. No, granted, I mean, you can even, you can even talk about um, Clarkbury, where some of my relatives went, Hilltown in particular, and some of those mm. schools have since been left to die, and I know there was a project that was headed by Bishop Njongulu Ndungane to resuscitate those. Yes. Why was it ever allowed that such historical schools which gave us many of the leaders now and some of their predecessors. Why were such historical schools allowed to wither away when they have given us so much? It was a, a, from the apartheid government that all the missionary schools, all the schools had to be under the, the, the Department of Education. And mm. so the missionary schools were, were closed or taken over. By, by the, the government where, where the schools remain. But most of the, the, the schools that were built by churches uh, were, were closed officially by the government of the town. 
All right, Mama, thank you so much for this conversation. I'm now going to open it up again to the listeners because I have a couple of messages that I have received in the course of this conversation that I would like to read out to you, please, and then you can just take some notes and then respond to them. But before we do that, we have a certain caller, Felix, from Nelspreit, who's calling. Good evening, Felix. Reverend Malinga on air. Yes, good evening. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, You see, you asked the question about whether it is fundamentally wrong or right not to to discourage love. Uh, it doesn't matter what form of love it is. And I think it is fundamentally wrong. I think the church, as a custodian of leading people to God, must be able to understand that he that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. But that's what is written in the Bible. And it doesn't matter in what form, in what shape that love comes. The church must be able to encourage love. If they are not going to encourage love, what are they supposed to encourage? Simply because a woman falls in love with another woman, that is no longer love. Simply because a man falls in love with another man, that is no longer love. Love is love. Love love must be unconditional. And if love is unconditional, it does not matter who you fall in love with. The church must be able to encourage and enhance that love. Thank you so much, Felix and Elspeth. Do you want to respond to that, Reverend Malinga? No, I don't have to. All right, fair enough. Let me then read a couple of messages that are coming through on our social media spaces. Something a little from Litangu Besilombondwan to Reverend Malinga. The significance of her election as presiding bishop. What are you planning to do to drive transformation in the Methodist Church of Southern Africa? The church has been criticized for its slow response to complaints of sexual harassment. Think the matter at the Pretoria Central Mission in 2018 and has also dismissed a priest because of her sexual orientation in recent years. That is a question. Um, I'm going to ask another, I'm going to read out another viewpoint and something more positive coming in from William Awusi in East London. I'm raising a beautiful, strong, smart, and amazing daughter, and I'm raising her to be the best she can be. Can you give advice about any aspect of your own upbringing that instilled self-belief in themselves and solidified in you the idea that you can achieve anything that you set your mind to do. Let's let's respond to those two comments, please, from Lita Ngobesi Lombondwana and William Awusi. Yes. Thank you. The, the, on the first one, I, I'll read the first one to admit and acknowledge that um, the, the church, the Methodist church in particular, has had some negative um experiences and there has been a, a number of issues of women abuse and sexual abuse issues that are coming out from uh, our church. And so my view mm. is that um, there is a sense in which we need to talk about these issues, put them on the table. There has been a, a culture of the church of sweeping things under the table, particularly from the leadership, where mm-hmm. it has been important to protect the, the perpetrator than to protect the, the victim. And so my view and, and what is going to be my contribution is to ensure that the, those who are victims are mm-hmm find spaces to speak up so that these issues can be picked up. There cannot be a, a continuation of a culture of covering up 
the yeah. evil that is happening in the church. Yes. That time is over. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly, it is important to to empower women so that they are able to, to know that if I, I come forward and report something that has happened to me, it's going to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that is what is important. Know that you, however small the issue people think is, if a person mm-hmm. says this has happened, it must be taken seriously. All right. And William Awusi, who's raising a daughter, do you have any advice to him as to how to raise this beautiful, strong, smart, and amazing daughter of his? What about your upbringing can you say was able to put you where you are now? You know, I, I'm always grateful to my mother and my grandfather. Mm-hmm. Both of them instilled in me that there is nothing that I cannot do. My grandfather used to say to me, I prayed that I have a grandchild. And as my grandchild, you are going to do everything that I ask you to do. When I say go milk the cows, you will go and milk the cows. Oh, wow. You will not say to me, I'm a girl, I can't milk the cows. So, same thing with my mother. It was, you out there, you are in the house, you do all that is done in the home. There is no specific role that mm-hmm. you have. There is nothing that you can say, no, this one means you are it's done by boys and so on. So yeah. that has made me who I am. So I think then as a parent of that young girl who is going to be something great in the future, don't put limits and roles for for, for her. Allow her to do uh, everything that needs to be done in the house, everywhere. She must know that she is a child in in the home, in the family. Everything that needs to be done, she must be able to do. And give her that picture that in this world you are a human being, you can do whatever God wants you to do. When we opened up the show, we played the song by Ndogozo Mbambo. It's a favorite of yours. It says, when I remember what the Lord has done. What does that do to you finally as we look to end this conversation? How does that song make you feel? And how do you reflect on your promotion now as we talk about when I remember what the Lord has done? What does Reverend Malinga think? The the song is talking about what the Lord has done in terms of saving us is, uh, to be the children of God. But also the, the song for me can mean looking back at your life and seeing the steps where the Lord has carried you in the journey of your life. So for me, it has those two meanings. It's the fact of the salvation by Jesus Christ. It is also the fact of the Lord carrying me in this journey that the Lord has called me into. And so I am grateful to God for for all that God has done in my life and through my life. And I am offering myself to do what God is calling me to do. This, this election for me... Um, 
while it is uh, a gratitude that I have to God and to the Methodist people, I am grateful to God because it's going to be an, an example. Every young girl, every woman would say, if Mama Malinga could do it, I mm-hmm. also can do it. So Absolutely. for me, this is hope and a moment for all women in the church and in the community. We look to you. We look to you, Mama. We look to you. I was privileged to have been one of your congregants at the Pretoria City Mission for a couple of years before you left. And I thoroughly enjoyed the news of hearing that you would be the presiding bishop-elect because your teachings at a personal level certainly made, meant something to me. And this conversation was to probe some of those things, which I have all the faith that you have the strength and fortitude and spiritual strength and wisdom indeed to mission out and carry through on behalf of some of your 1.5 million followers who really are desperate for support. And it can only come from Imbogodo like you. So thank you very much and all the best. Godspeed, they say. Thank you so much. That was Reverend of the Methodist Church presiding bishop-elect, Reverend Purity Malinga. Stay tuned, please, because we're going to talk to another star who's literally, in the literal sense, flying high. Of course, I could only be talking about Mandisa Mfega. Major Mandisa Mfega. Stay tuned. We'll be back right after this.